This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's Friday. That means it is news panel time. Let's welcome into the show our panelists, Michelle McQuig and Joita Gupta. I say good morning to you, Michelle. How are you? Morning, Dave. I'm well. Hope, hope you are too. I'm very, very good. Nice to chat with you once again. I missed our chat last Friday and Monday, and I've been told not to quite say hello to Joita just yet. So let me intro our first story, and then we'll say a big good morning to Joita. New conservative leader Pierre Poilievre addressed his caucus for the first time since winning leadership of the party in a landslide victory. Poilievre put a large focus on cost of living. If you really understand the suffering of Canadians, Mr. Prime Minister. If you understand that people can't gas their cars, feed their families, or afford homes for themselves, if you really care, commit today that there will be no new tax increases on workers and on seniors. None. He laid out what his priority will be in the short term as leader of the party. But there will be no compromise on this point. Conservatives will not support any new tax increases, and we will fight tooth and nail to stop the coalition from introducing any. Poliev also reflected on what it means to have opportunity. I want every single Canadian to have the opportunity that I had, to come from modest beginnings, but to work hard every day, to make sacrifices, to be responsible, and to have all of those virtues pay off as they realize their dreams in their country, a country with a small government and big citizens, where the state is servant and the people are the masters. I used the word landslide before, so let's put a little bit of context on that with some numbers. Poliev captured nearly all of the country's 338 ridings in the leadership contest and picked up nearly 70% of the popular vote. I can now say good morning to Joita Gupta, and I'll ask her the first question. So, Joita, good morning. Good morning, Dave. Uh, Joita, what, what does the resounding nature of this result suggest to you about Poliev's support within the party? Well, it says a couple of things. It says that he has overwhelming support, uh, especially within the caucus, and he has won the largest victory since the Conservative Party was created in 2003. It might surprise uh, people to learn that he actually has a larger victory than Stephen Harper did uh, in his leadership contest. And of course, Stephen Harper went on to become the prime minister of the country. And just to pick up on some of the things that you were talking about, Dave, he not only picked up 68% of the points, but 70% of the popular vote. And what that tells us is that, uh, according to the point system, Polyev has support across the country and that he also has support within his party because, you know, the caucus is, with few exceptions, generally backing him up. I think one of the things that's really telling Dave and Michelle is the fact that Pierre Polyev has been instrumental in bringing a lot of new people into the party. So the party membership actually swelled to 670,000 people, which is the largest it's ever been. If you rewind to about 2020 in that leadership contest, about 270,000 people were eligible to vote. Now it's ballooned to 670,000. So there you can see it's 
all doubled, nearly tripled. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I'd say it's entirely due to Pierre Polyev, but I think it's fair to say it's largely driven by Pierre Polyev. So yeah. you're seeing someone who's really managed to mobilize the rank and file of the party, but also enjoys a great deal of support within conservatives across the country. I do want to talk about his following in a moment, but I also want to give Michelle an opportunity on this one. Michelle, this, unlike the last couple of leadership races, was settled on the first ballot, resoundingly on the first ballot. There was no backroom deals or bargaining going on. This was a clear-cut victory. What do you make of the nature of the win yeah you guys are tapping directly into my brain joey you didn't said a lot of what i would have liked to flag here but yeah my big takeaway here is that the game has now changed at the conservative leadership level there's been a lot of, of drama the past couple of years like you pointed out dave the past couple of leadership contests were, were back and forth affairs both times with a bit of a surprise winner coming out of it um, the first time around, you know, Peter McKay was widely considered the front runner, and then Andrew Shear emerged on top. Uh, Aaron O'Toole was not considered to be the front runner for the longest time. He won. Uh, both times, those did not end particularly well, based on uh, if you ask Conservative Party operatives, for for one thing. This time, you have a very different scenario, and I think the membership drive really is the key thing here. You have a person who is highly polarizing, but who obviously has extremely broad appeal for those who do like his message and his methods. And this is a guy who has managed to greatly increase the the base of the party, the membership numbers within the party. This will have financial consequences that will serve the party really well as they go on for the next couple of years. And now they have someone with the clearest mandate yet since the party was formed, like Joita said. So I, I do think that the wind is at their back at this point now that they've managed to round this corner. Mm-hmm. Guys, I think based on the answers we all just gave, we don't need to dwell on this too much. But there was a news story this week about Quebec MP Alain Ré, who removed himself from caucus after the result. Now, he was an Erno Tool ally. He also backed Jean Charest in the leadership race. Michelle, is there anything to read into this departure or is this to be expected? I'm not that surprised. Um, of the Throughout the caucus, he had quite a lot of support, but it is worth noting that the 10 Quebec Conservative MPs all backed Charest, who was their former uh, premier, even though Quebec, uh, when the actual voting results came in, Quebec backed Poilievre, yeah. but the caucus members did not. So I'm not personally that surprised. When you see a guy who has historically backed Poilievre rivals, uh, specifically Charest, who was more diametrically opposed than O'Toole even was, um, I'm not too, too shocked to see this because, uh, like I said before, Poilievre is a polarizing figure. There are going to be people who are not happy about this result, even within the party. Joita, anything to read into the resignation of Alain I wasn't surprised either, but some commentators were quite taken aback. Uh, They uh, were pointing to the fact that on uh, Saturday, as part of his victory speech, Foliev really tried to strike a uh, magnanimous note and tried to bring everybody in. And uh, people have alluded to the fact that there might have been some kind of a personal disagreement that has prompted this, because for the most part, as I said earlier, the caucus has gotten behind Poilievre. Uh, Alain uh, he, uh, was, uh, was a very high-profile um, and is a very high-profile Quebec-based member of the party. Uh, after he quit, conservatives in his writing actually got a text message from the party saying that uh, here's someone who doesn't want to fight Trudeau anymore and you should call his office and tell him to quit as an MP. Of course, uh, the party has since recognized as uh, that this is bullying and has apologized for the text messages. But you can see that I think uh, it not only made Pierre Proliev look like a bully, but at least for people inside the Conservative Party, maybe they didn't see it coming, although 
I personally wasn't all that surprised. Uh, Pierre Polyev is far more to the right than uh, O'Toole and, you know, even Stephen Harper for that matter. And he's got some fairly controversial ideas that he's been promoting. Uh, he's been, prim- you know, appealing to the convoy people. I think we'll talk a bit more about that and the conspiracy theorists about uh, the COVID and the vaccines. And so some mainstream uh, conservative politicians might actually be alarmed by this. We may see other slightly more moderate conservative members either being pushed out or uh, end up leaving the party It'll probably be a very small number, though. So I think this might be symptomatic of, of some people exiting the party, saying that, the, this, this, as Michelle put it really well, the wind is at Polyev's back. And for more moderate conservatives, they might really feel like they're not being heard in that uh, in that context. So I know that there had been some talk uh, about how if the race had been closer between Polyev and, and Jean Chaillet, that there might have been some splitting off and splintering of the party, but I don't think that's going to happen now. Uh, so I do think that this is an interesting... Um, it's interesting to see what happened here with Alain Royer because it just goes to show you uh, that perhaps if you're a more moderate conservative, you're really questioning whether you still have a place in the party. That That's the push and pull that I think we've seen quite a bit ever since the Maxime Bernier splits with the party, and that certainly manifested in the last election, not with seats, but certainly with popular vote, that there's always going to be a push and pull inside that big tent as one person tries to drag the party a little bit closer to the center, there's going to be some splintering one way, and as the party gets taken a little bit closer to the more uh, traditional or new conservative values, there's going to be a little bit of the the progressive conservatives that are going to splinter off in the middle. But I think that's just the reality of big tent politics, generally speaking. Let's talk about the following, because the one thing that I noted right from the start, even before Aaron O'Toole was ousted, Pierre Polyev is a star on social media. I don't know if it's the algorithms or the friends that I have or whatever it is. His social media presence is very, very visible on my Twitter, on my Facebook, on my YouTube, it's just there. And he delivers a message, especially when he's talking about the economy, that I would argue is a little bit oversimplified, but it's one that definitely connects with people, mm-hmm. especially when we're talking about fiscal responsibility and to a, maybe a lesser degree, uh, some of his feelings about cryptocurrency and central banks. But the fact <laughs> is the message is very digestible and it's one that I think a lot of people can understand in an era of government spending, big government spending. So I would say that that social media presence for maybe one of the first times since the early Trudeau days or the Barack Obama days, it actually manifested in votes. Jagmeet Singh has an awesome following on social media, but it hasn't necessarily translated into votes. In this case, the people who supported him mobilized behind mm-hmm. him. Michelle, why do you think that message or his message was able to get people to do more than just smash the share button? Timing being right for him because the the climate is perfect for the kind of messaging that he's that he touts these days. Um, so I think that definitely is a factor. You, you have the disenfranchisement of certain conservative voters that would have found an appealing voice in him. But I also think we can't discount the fact that he's had a lot of time to practice and get good at this. He's not 
a brand new fresh face that just burst onto the scene. He's been an MP for a long time. He's been the finance shadow critic for a long time. So this is a file he knows really, really well. He's got a great handle on the material. And he's also cut his teeth on being the attack bulldog. This is what his this is his thing. He's the guy who gets up in the House of Commons and gets in people's faces. Uh, he's been holding pretty combative press conferences for quite some time. Uh, this message that he's got is something that he has honed and, and I would argue now perfected for quite some time. So I, I do feel that he, he put the practice and the time in to, to craft uh, whatever message and persona he's got going right now. But I also feel like the, the timing just kind of worked out to make the, the, the voting base at large as receptive as they possibly could be to his brand of messaging, because it wasn't always like that. Pierre Poilievre was not necessarily, I, I argue, would not have been considered at all a viable candidate, even a few years back. Joita, how do you think he managed to make his message break through and have people actually take action, join the party, yeah. cast their votes? Yeah, I think that's a great point, Dave. And you're, you're, you're right to point out that someone like Jagmeet Singh, who has an incredible social media following, isn't quite able to achieve the same result in terms of mobilizing the vote. I think for Pierre Polyev, he's really appealing to right-wing populism. And it's a bit like what we saw, actually it's quite similar to what we saw in the U.S. with uh, Donald Trump and you know his social media constantly jumping on Twitter and being able to uh, harness that social media uh, following into a lot of support. There has, uh, I also think I want to pick up on Michelle's point about the timing. There has been a very loud and vocal minority that has been opposed to COVID. And those people who have opposed the restrictions, have spawned a social movement. And I think Pierre Polyev has tapped into that on social media to an extent. And that social movement has definitely punched above its weight. And so I think that might have also contributed, the, just the, the stars aligned, if you will, with um, his social media savvy, but also just the moment that we're in right now with this very loud, very... Uh, vocal minority objecting to the COVID-19 and um, Pierre Polyev uh, sort of saying, you know, I am willing to uh, fight for you, uh, you know, against the elite. I am anti-establishment. I am opposed to the elite. And he's providing these really, uh, he's providing these really oversimplified messages which are resonating with people who are feeling increasingly hemmed in, you know, high inflation, the cost of gas is going up, the cost of food is going up. And here's Pierre Polyev saying he's going to take a swipe at the elite. So he's offering up on social media, very digestible hot button politics with very little public policy. And I would have to say that from this point on, I would be very curious to see if he can if you can take this any further. I know I said 670,000 is pretty impressive, and it is for a party following, but that's only 2% of the Canadian population. So I am intrigued to see if he's able to continue to mobilize in the way that he did for his leadership contest, whether this will actually be enough to, you know, to at some point render him the next prime minister of Canada, but perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself, you know. What you both answered there actually leads me into my last thought. Um, I even fell into the trap. I used the word oversimplified to talk about some of his uh, fiscal ideas, and maybe that's me flashing my bias a teensy tiny bit. Michelle, you used the word a combative relationship with the media. Michelle, what lessons do you think we can take as a media in covering Pierre Polyev? Because I think we've fallen, I say, I say we as sort of a collective mass media, sometimes fall into this trap of trying to 
battle into that combativeness or trying to kind of be dismissive of new ideas when perhaps we should maybe stick to fact checking in real time as opposed to trying to attribute things or attribute stories or stretch things to him. Just battle with his ideas at face value and try not to get too far into the weeds. I, I don't know if what I'm saying even necessarily makes sense there, but Michelle, what lessons do you think the media can take in trying to cover Pierre Polyev in like in a very in in, in a um uh what's what I'm looking for in an, in an objective manner? In a responsible way. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I do think you, you raise a good point about receptiveness to new ideas. I, I, I'm taken back to 2016 when Donald Trump's presidential run was initially covered in a lot of news sites' humor pages. It was not taken seriously at all to the point where it was literally presented as a humor piece. And then that changed over time as his, as his power base grew and his, you know, his inevitable <laughs> rise to the presidency uh, began to happen. But that needs to change, and I, I think has started to, in that there isn't necessarily that same degree of, of disdain for someone out of the box right out of the gate. But I do think you're right, Dave, in that the, the key going forward to cover Pierre Poilievre, and you're going to have to cover him. He is the leader of the official opposition and stands to be so for at least two more years if this confidence and supply agreement, not a coalition, like he said, but if that agreement does hold out, you're going to have to cover him. And the keys, I think, are facts and context. Stick to the facts of what he's reporting. Provide context for the statements he makes. If there's erroneous information in the statements he makes, point it out as such. Do that research. I think that kind of coverage and that fact-based approach is going to be absolutely critical in the next uh, couple of years in which a lot can happen. I'm kind of with Joita in being interested to see what will happen because in politics, that's a long, long time. And he's coming out really strong. And sometimes that can be a lot of pressure for a new leader to, to bear up under when they come out with such a strong mandate and such strong support. Uh, it be interesting to see if he can sustain that and, and broaden it, which he'll have to do. Joita, from a, me from a media and journalism perspective, what, what are some lessons that we might take away uh, as, as, as the coverage of Pierre Polyev really ramps up in earnest? Mm. Uh, I think we've established that he, Pierre Polyev, does well on social media. But if you'll pardon the understatement, we've, we can also say with some confidence that he does quite abysmally when it comes to the mainstream media. Uh, one of the things that is noticeable about Pierre Parliev is that when he's asked challenging questions, he completely falls apart. Uh, some uh, some weeks ago, there was uh, a questions about his wife, um, you know, speculating in property and how that was driving up housing prices and what did he have to say about that, uh, you know, and, and he did not have a good answer for that. I think that uh, this most recent incident involving David Aiken is very interesting and exceedingly illuminating at that press conference where Pierre Polyev said, I'm not going to take any questions. And David Aiken said, what do you mean I'm not going to take, you're not taking any questions? He got very upset about it. And I mean, it's kind of preposterous to think uh, that David Aiken, who has written for the Sun and he wrote for the Post, uh, is being called a liberal heckler. Uh, so, Pierre Polyever is trying to do what he's always done, which is deliver, as I said, those hot buttons, sound bites, you know, digestible. He's trying to make the news the news. And as far as the media is concerned, there's a there's a couple of things that the media does, which is contextualize, fact check, but also, and this is crucial, 
hold leaders accountable. And how do you hold leaders accountable? You do so by asking challenging questions. And if you've got a party leader who's saying, I'm going to have a press conference, but I'm not going to let you ask questions, that is a red flag. I think yeah, we lesson, also we have a prime minister who does that too, though. Yeah, but Dave, I mean, that's, the, that's a problem. Let's not normalize the situation where we take away the media's ability to ask questions and hold people accountable. There's a really important role for the media yeah, to play I, in, I think in, it's in unfair. I think it's unfair, though, that we've put that pin on Pierre Polyev this week when the prime minister has been doing it for years. You know, I was like, just going to say that, that what I wanted to point out was that Stephen Harper had a very, very hard limit on media questions. The, 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 the media landscape and the coverage plans did change when the administration changed. But this does come. It feels to me like a page out of a past conservative playbook. Yes. perhaps to a more extreme degree, but it is something that has been previously done. It has, and I think, if you don't mind me just closing out my thoughts on this, I think just because it's been done in the past doesn't mean we need to normalize it. It's very important for the media to continue to fill that very important accountability function, you know, to be that fourth estate, because Canadians should and need to be able to rely on the mainstream media to also ask tough questions and not let politicians dictate when and how that happens all the time. I, I agree with you 100%. Plus one. I agree with you 100%, <laughs> yeah, but I also think that it's important that as we start pinning the tail on the donkey that we put the context just like Michelle said that that this is something that's been going on with the prime minister and it's and this will only further if it only gets the lens only gets applied to Pierre Poilievre mm. is going to fall into the trap of Look at you guys. You only point the dirty stick at me. You never point the dirty stick elsewhere. Yeah, no, it's a really fair point. I I totally can see that. The one other thing I'll say about how the media ought to handle Pierre Poilievre is, remember, he has this massive social media following. So they immediately turned on David Aiken. And so I think when the media is now tackling Pierre Poilievre, one of the things that's going to happen, which is specific to Pierre Poilievre, is the social media factor. If if you're a journalist and you're asking Pierre Poilievre tough questions, be prepared to be hounded on social media. Oh, yeah. You uh, you might... You might get owned. You might get owned on social media. Be prepared to be clipped. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.